Hello, I'm Beatrice Valerie Nero, and you're listening to This is the Voice of the Prophet. I have walked in the office of the prophet since God revealed the anointing he has placed on my life for close to 40 years. This podcast is a new territory that he has assigned me that I pray will be done as God ministers. The purpose of this podcast is to share the word of God in a prophetic way under the anointing of the Holy Ghost as he ministers and speaks to my spirit as to what he would have me to speak to the listeners, you, his sons and daughters. You can help and support this podcast by telling your families, friends, co-workers, church members, and everyone you know about This is the Voice of the Prophet and how easy it is to tune in through any podcast server through this title. I also ask for your prayers. You can reach me with questions and comments by email at amiteagle at charter.net. That's A-M-I-T-E-E-A-G-L-E at charter.net. And finally, you can always reach me at my website at www.amiteagle.com. And remember, if for some reason the podcast doesn't come through to you through your text or email or however you're receiving it, you can always reach this is the voice of the prophet on any podcast server. Thank you and God bless you. Now let's get into the word that God has for us for this week. This week's episode is entitled Kizzy Part 4. I heard a quote from someone I was speaking to earlier this week saying that a white woman, an advocate against racism, I don't remember her name, stated in one of her books that it's hard for whites to talk about racism when it's being brought forth by a non-white. I can truly understand that statement. However, it does not discharge me or release me from the assignment that I believe God has given me to talk about the issues of racism, not only with my own race, but other races as well, and that includes whites. One of the assignments that I've been given by our Father, as long as I've been in ministry, is to talk about the uncomfortable things. I talked about my own molestation as a child, about nearly being raped, being physically abused in my first marriage, and even to growing up being a bedwetter. There was nothing that God allowed me to keep hidden, or for that matter, to be ashamed of. It's absolutely amazing to me, time and time again, that when I would talk about the hidden shames, as I call them now, as to how God would move among his people. I remember the first time I shared with the congregation about being a bedwetter. A woman and her daughter approached me after the services. The little girl had tears in her eyes. She looked up at me and said, I wet the bed. All I could do was hug her, love her, and reassure her that God still had great plans for her life. If I can talk about those things and much, much more in the body of Christ, I will definitely continue to talk about and address the issues of racism. If it makes you uncomfortable, then good. It means that at least you're listening. 
You know, it absolutely amazes me that when I minister prophetically to an individual, a group, or congregation concerning the blessings from God, how open and willing people are to receive. When I share with them, sometimes even whispering in their ears so as to not bring embarrassment, they agree that it's God because there was no way I could have known what was in their hearts and spirits except that God revealed it. As long as I'm saying that I'm praying for them in agreement with whatever it is that they're asking God to do for marriages, ministries, their children, deliverances, and so much more, I'm just the best thing since sliced bread. Yet now that the moment for reprimand and correction comes forth, basically a word that they're not pleased with, suddenly I'm harassing them. They don't like me, and as a former church member said, I've missed it. And by the way, the same person that says I'm missing it wears Trump socks and even attended one of his rallies. It seems as though now that I'm talking about racism, suddenly I'm missing God. Some have even said that I've walked away from God. We just can't have it both ways, sisters and brothers. If I was hearing him for the good things, the things that you embraced, needed, and held on to so dearly, you cannot reject all else that he's giving through me. And as far as me missing it, as he once told me many years ago, when I would ask him and I would say to him, Father, I don't want to miss you. That was a prayer that I would actually pray. God, don't let me miss you. And I'll never forget, one day, so clearly, he spoke to me and said, Beatrice, I'm too big to miss. You won't miss me. It's his voice that I hear and not another's. God would never allow me to ask him to guide me and then allow me to become so lost or confused that I'd miss him. That's not the God we serve. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the good shepherd, and he will never leave or forsake his sheep. As long as I continue to seek my father's face, he will never leave me nor forsake me. If you want to talk about what makes a person uncomfortable, let me say that through the years, there have been many, many things that have been preached to blacks by their white pastors and leadership that was hard to take as well. Very, very hard. However, we believed and accepted it as a part of our desire to grow in our relationship with the Father as well as with our fellow man. That includes the duplicity used to keep them, us, under the rules of white supremacy, as well as to continually hold us in spiritual darkness. But these pastors, the so-called prophets, the televangelists, who knowingly preached white supremacy in the guise of the gospel of Jesus Christ, will all stand in the judgment and give an account. I'm reminded continually of the story that I share all the time that I heard from R.W. Schambach about the man who saw a vision of hell. As the man looked into hell, he saw one that was condemned to that place, going from one boiling lava pit to another. 
Each time he would reach one of those pits, the man in hell would reach in, pull someone out, look at them, and then throw them back in. It was obvious that he was looking for someone in particular. Finally, the man who was having the vision called to the condemned man in hell and asked, Who are you looking for? The man in hell looked up and answered, I'm looking for the pastor who caused me to be in this place. I've never forgotten that story. And I, as I said earlier, I've shared it time and time again. However, it's always a reminder to me that I don't want anyone looking for me in hell. And as long as the churches refuse to have open discussions on these matters of racism in order to remove them from the body of Christ, I will continue to refuse to stop discussing systemic racism in the body of Christ. No one will look for me in hell. We all know that there are some in the congregations that truly accept and love the minorities they attend their services just as they love their white counterparts, while others just wish they would go away. Yet in many predominantly white churches, no matter how large the number of minorities, you will not find them on the boards or preaching on a Sunday morning. Other churches will allow the preaching occasionally, but yet they will not have a part in the making of decisions in the church. And even in the churches where there are blacks on the boards, blacks preaching in the pulpits on Sundays, or even blacks that are in strong leadership positions, there's still the issue of the elephant in the room if you're not discussing and dealing with racism in the church. If an individual sees or is aware of racial injustices and practices against someone and doesn't speak up, then you're just as wrong as the perpetrator. If you're a white person in a predominantly white church, quite possibly you may have heard something said or even seen something unseemly. Don't just sit there, speak up. Even as a child, I was never one to stand by and allow someone else to be bullied or misused in any way. In that way and character, I have not changed. As I've stated time and time again, for some reasons I know and others that have yet to be revealed, God continually opened doors for me as a black woman, where for others who were better educated, with a greater anointing, and much better speaker, those same doors were closed. It had to have been and still must be for a reason. Was I less threatening? I don't think that was it, but God allowed me to develop true loving relationships with men and women of God who I truly believe have absolutely no racism or prejudice within them, or if there is, they're at least acknowledging it and attempting to deal with it. For that, I love them even more. In the church I attended, I was truly honored, respected, and accepted on an equal basis. Yet I know without a doubt that my church and situation was not the norm. I can name a couple of others, only a couple of others, where I know that same situation exists with white pastors and black members. But again, of the thousands and hundreds of thousands of churches, that is not the norm.
But even with that, I still know that there was and still is an elephant in the room, an issue of racism in the same church that I once attended. One of the things that I said to my pastor when telling them that I would not be returning was that if I had returned, that I would be the biggest hypocrite of them all. I felt and still feel that in spite of the true love that I will always have for them, for me to return to a place where I know racism exists and is not being addressed, to worship, praise, laugh, and talk with people who I know support systemic racism would be beyond just hypocrisy, but it would make me a downright liar. Why is it so important that this issue be discussed? Why should people bring up topics and disputes that some feel are best if left alone? Because it's there and it's real. It's because as long as it's not being discussed, it means that the minorities in the church must sit silently by while being denied not only their basic human rights, but their abilities to truly be a part of who and what God wants to do and accomplish through them in the body of Christ. It's also a matter that the church is the very root of racism. This is where it started and this is where it must be stopped. If it's not stopped in the church, people will never accept that it's wrong. If it's not stopped in the church, too many who truly believe in and love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will continue to believe that the oppression of other races is right or should at least be ignored. Racism in the church is a matter that's large and looming, yet still being refused to be dealt with. It's like rape, spousal abuse, sexual abuse by priests and clergy, and depression. Those were issues not only society, but the church refused to acknowledge and continually denied. It was not until these issues were thrust upon us in ways that many were not ready for through discussions that change began to come about. But here's the difference. It's not the denial of racism that keeps it from being removed. The issue of racism is not being denied. It's the refusal to confront, uncover, and discuss systemic racism that keeps it going. It's refusing to discuss and talk about it that continues to endorse and support white supremacy, which in turn hinders growth and the true move of God in the body of Christ. On the other hand, they are those, those whom I still love, no matter how much their racism is revealed to them, they will still not want to change. I believe that's when it goes from simple racism to being racist. There is an innate desire in not all, but many whites to not only survive, but to reign supreme over all other races. It's a person's own insecurities that will cause them to want someone to be beneath them. It's their own self-imposed inadequacies that will allow for one human to want to suppress another human merely for the sake of dominance and preeminence. Some would say that those statements are not true. All they want to do is just live good lives. 
Then let me explain those statements a bit more clearly. To survive and live a good life is what each and every person wants to do. However, with whites, it's a given. Because of finances, education, status, they can walk in and get the jobs, the business loans, the scholarships, etc., simply because they're white. It's just what's expected and has always been, and all this while denying others the same opportunities. For blacks, it's what has had to be demanded and fought for from slavery even until now. The same status finances, education, etc., that afforded whites to excel has been denied to black and brown people with the express purpose of keeping them suppressed while whites surpassed those who were at times smarter, more intelligent, better character, and could do so much better than their white counterparts. Therefore, the desire for most whites to survive is not just a desire, but an inborn desperation to reign supreme over all other races throughout the world just for the sake of supremacy. A lot of this aspiration has been satiated through the church by the teaching of the white European version of the Bible. This is one of the reasons that this nation was founded on Christian principles and doctrines. It was not just Christianity and the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but it, it was with the unspoken purpose of and being able to use the Word of God in order to keep other races oppressed. It was a lot easier to maintain the unspoken law of white supremacy by teaching the Bible with the subliminal messages that whites are superior and it was supposed to remain that way, but Satan is a lie. This brings to light another reason why so many young people today, white as well as black, want nothing to do with Christianity. They're not saying they don't want anything to do with God. They're not saying that they don't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's the church and the unspoken doctrine of the white European church of Christianity that they want no part of. The disease is racism, and all of the above are the causes of the disease. We all know the symptoms, but what is the cure? What is the cure, Lord? What is the cure? Without a doubt, I know that many have already said love. Love is the key and the answer. The word teaches us to love our enemies, bless those that curse you, and pray for those that despitefully use you. However, after having done all of this for hundreds of years, I truly believe that our Father is saying, enough. Why isn't love enough? Have you ever met someone who was being abused by a person who loved them and that they loved? Have you ever heard of a woman or a man who was killed by the person who loved them? Have you ever seen a child who was beaten or killed by the parent who loved them? There was a terrible tragedy a couple of years ago in New Orleans where a man killed his baby girl because he said God told him to do it. He loved that child and unfortunately, thinking that he was doing as Abraham was about to do with Isaac, he killed that baby, not out of hatred or anger, 
It was not in a moment of frustration or vexation, but of misguided and a complete misunderstanding of the word of God. The man, unfortunately, has been declared mentally unfit to stand trial for the murder of the child he loves so much. So what's my point? Love is not a cure-all for the issue of racism. Love is just not enough. All too often when clarifications are not in place, obviously misunderstanding will occur. When it's been purpose that a matter is fudged, altered, changed, transformed, converted, or however you want to put it, then it's being used to achieve an objective other than for which it was created. In the words of Dr. Miles Monroe, if you don't know the proper use of a thing, you will use it abnormally or there will be abnormal use. When bringing those two words, abnormal use, Together as one, you get the word abuse. God's word has been used in a way and out of its purpose with an abnormal use. It's been used and misused to abuse the body of Christ through racism. God's word was used without its proper purpose or intent. It was misused and abused. And it was all in order to perpetuate white supremacy. Some of us won't even ask God if there is racism or hatred in us. Or if we do, it's with the self-righteousness. If it's asked of the Father, it's in a way of already knowing that it's not there. And with the individual not really, really being open to him showing them what is there. Some of us want to go to the Father saying, well, God, if there's any hatred or racism in me, I want you to show it to me because I already know it's not there. If that's the way you're going to him, white or black, then what you have actually done is made up your own mind, sanctified your own self, and forgiven your own sin. You've closed your mind and heart without allowing God to show you what's really there. But every person, pastor, Christian, prophet, preacher, or teacher, before approaching the Father in that mindset, remember his word in Hosea 4 and 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Let me read that again. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. God is not rejecting his people because they didn't know or were too ignorant to learn. They're being rejected because they rejected him first. They rejected the word and knowledge of God. To reject God's word is to refuse it. And for those who refuse to listen to the word and the warning that's being given at this time concerning racism, you are rejecting the wisdom, knowledge, and will of God. 
God is not just speaking to those who don't know his word or are too young and immature to understand what he's saying. He's not speaking to those who have no control or input as to what should or could be done in the church. He's speaking to the pastors, preachers, teachers, prophets, evangelists, the very ones who can bring about change, but who refuse to listen to bring that change about. When we refuse the word of God, especially as pastors and leaders in the body of Christ, there is nothing left for us except Jeremiah 23 and 1. Woe be unto the pastors. And I don't have to tell you the rest. I pray that this episode has been enlightening to each of you, and I pray that you will share it with others, encouraging your church members, families, friends, neighbors, and co-workers to listen to the podcast, This is the Voice of the Prophet, on any podcast server. Until next Monday, remember that I am praying for each and every person who listens, asking our Father's blessings and favor upon you. God bless each and every one of you, and thank you so much for listening.